Amen. Amen. All right, so making wise decisions up today. Uh, there's, a, there's an irony in this proverb series, which is uh, whatever I'm preparing that week, I'm just doing terribly at. Uh, so uh, two weeks ago when I was preparing on laziness and hard work, I just had the hardest time getting going. And, uh, and this week, making wise decisions, um, I've just made a series of very bad decisions. Um, so uh, hopefully the sermon will help me. Um, but I want to think to start by asking the question of ourselves, how often do you go to God for help with a decision in your life? How often do you go to God for help? Um, and I think if we polled you this morning, there'd be a, a diversity of uh, answers to that question. I think some of you, the answer is going to be all the time, every day, several times a day. You're praying about the little decisions of each day, consulting the Lord about which way to go. And maybe you're hearing the answers back from him. And it's a constant conversation with the Lord. Um, that's how it is for my son Benjamin right now. He's hearing from the Lord several times a day, and he's trying to discern his steps. And it's a good thing, um, but it can be anxiety-producing. Uh, because Benjamin wonders if he heard right, or sometimes what the directions mean. And I expect some others of you have experienced that same kind of thing. And if we go to the other end of the spectrum, I expect some of us might not go to God for help with the small daily decisions, but we do bring him the big life decisions. Things like, should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I move cities? That kind of thing. Um, and maybe we go to God and we spend months of prayer uh, over major decisions like that, looking for guidance from the Lord. But after months of prayer, we still don't really feel like we've heard any kind of answer. Um, so those might be two opposite kinds of Christian experience um, in following the Lord in our day-to-day -day lives. And then in between, there's a whole broad spectrum. Um, but I think it's safe to say that wherever we fall on that spectrum, for most of us, it's really not easy. It's not easy. Uh, it can be a minefield of confusion and disappointment following the Lord in our daily lives. So we need help. Um, and today we're going to turn to, uh, for help to uh, Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 9. So it's a good time to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, if you're using the church Bibles, it's page 539, Proverbs chapter 16. And we're going to think about how we make wise decisions. So what Proverbs 16 does is it lays a foundation for making wise decisions in our life that, uh, that's built on these two great stones, two great pillars of truth. First, that God is ultimately in charge, and second, that we will be measured by God. So we're going to start by talking about those two great stones that form the foundation of making wise decisions. And then in the second half, we're going to move on to some more practical guidance in Proverbs for making wise decisions, both when God is speaking to us and when he appears to be silent. All right? So wise living begins with this acknowledgement that God is ultimately in charge. Proverbs 16 begins in verse 1 by saying, The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. And then if you look down to verse 9, where our section ends today, you find a similar statement. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So the first thing is that all wise decisions begin and end by acknowledging God. We acknowledge that God is before us, ahead of us, 
and superior to us in every way. So yes, we can think and dream and make our plans. We can strategize and decide. But God was there before us. Um, he made his own plans long ago. And nothing we can do can be established without his say. We're dependent on him. And, and we can give an answer, we can decide and think what we're going to say, but the breath and thought and reason and speech necessary to do all those things depend on God our maker. We're his creatures, and we live and move and make all our choices in his world, which is a world that already has a plan. This world has a plan. It's a plan that's made by a strategic and purposeful God. And in all our decisions and dealings, wise or foolish, we interact with his plan, with his will. So we don't begin each day with a blank page. The page already has God's blueprints on it. He decides, and he's ultimately in charge. That's what we mean when we say that God is sovereign. And here are some more Proverbs that emphasize that and say it even more clearly. I think they'll come up on the screen. Proverbs 19, verse 21 says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 21, verse 1, Even the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. And Proverbs 16, verse 33 the lot is cast into the lap, but its every decision is from the Lord. So do you see from these words of scripture that God is a planning God? He makes decisions. He calls the shots and he's in charge. And God's decisions run all the way up and down the spectrum of importance from the war strategies of kings right the way down to peasants casting lots. God sees all these things. God cares about them all, and God plans. There's no detail that's too small or too fine for him to care about. And so we realize that our own lives, too, are in his view. He marks our steps. He has plans for us. And so wisdom begins here by acknowledging this God and the decisions that he's already made. So we heard from the book of James in the New Testament uh, James wrote in chapter 4, he said this, Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Boasting is arrogant because of this reality that God is ultimately in charge. And that's where our conversation on making wise decisions should begin. Now, there are a couple of ways we might respond to this idea emotionally. The first is that we might breathe a sigh of relief because it doesn't depend on us after all. The salvation of the world doesn't hang on our good decisions. Instead, it all depends on God's plans that he made before the foundation of the world. Thank goodness for that. It's a huge relief. We get to be small. And if you're the kind of person who is very anxious about making decisions and wants to get it right and wants to make sure you've heard the Lord, maybe this is a word for you this morning. But God's in control. It doesn't depend on you. You get to be small. You get to be at peace. But the other emotion we might feel is a sense of being stifled. 
Like the bigness of God and the, the amount that God is in charge doesn't really leave any room for me at all. If God is really that much in charge, then do any of my decisions, wise or foolish, really make any difference? Can I do anything to move the needle at all? And if not, what kind of creature am I? Where is my dignity? Where is my purpose? Where is my creativity and my humanity? So this is where we need to come to the second big idea of Proverbs 16, the other great stone, which is that we will be measured by God, which might not sound like it makes anything any better, but we'll see in the end that it really does. So here's what else Proverbs 16 says. Look at verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. So you think your life's going pretty well, that you're choosing well, and making a fairly good job of things? Well, join the club. That's completely normal. We're all inclined to give ourselves a favorable report card. Whether or not it's true, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. But our own opinion of ourselves isn't the opinion that matters. Because it's the Lord who weighs the spirit. And that verb weigh, in that verse 2, is the action of a merchant weighing a sack of goods. So he's measuring it, assessing it for quality and quantity. And God weighs our spirits, our inner beings, the substance of who we are. And so the whole of who we are will be measured by God. And God's going to see, as it says in verse 5, if we're arrogant in heart, and then we'll be punished. Or he'll see, in verse 7, if our ways are pleasing to him, and we'll be given peace with our enemies. So in other words, we will be held responsible for our choices by God. Responsible for our wise or foolish decisions. And punished or rewarded according to what God finds in our hearts. And that second great truth is, on the one hand, terrifying, but on the other hand, dignifying. Because it brings back our humanity and our purpose. Because now our choices do matter. Whether we are wise or foolish makes an enormous difference. We have the power to offend Almighty God, as it says in verse 5, or in verse 7, to please Almighty God. <coughs> And if that's true, then we are noble and dignified creatures. It's an honor that God himself should weigh our spirits. That he should assess the core of who we are in an intimate and personally invested way. He dignifies us by measuring us. And he shows us that our choices do matter. So all this leads us to the conclusion that we should choose our way carefully and according to the plans and purpose God has for us. He planned us, and he will measure us, so we're answerable to him and him alone. Verse 4 says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. <coughs> and that word for purpose shows up in the Hebrew Bible about a dozen times, and everywhere else it shows up, it's translated answer, including in uh, Proverbs 16, verse 1. Uh, so everything, the Lord has made everything for its answer. The idea of purpose is that for which it answers to God, that for which it is answerable. And so we ourselves were made for a purpose. We were made to give God an answer. 
And when that reality governs our decisions, then we're walking in wisdom. All right, so that's the two great uh, foundation stones. Now I want to come back to where we started. Uh, it's right that we look, for God, look to God uh, for guidance in our daily lives. It's right that we seek his will, that we might please him, as verse 7 says. And it's right that we uh, ask him how to guide our steps so that we can commit all our work to him, as verse 3 says. But in practice, uh, that's not as easy as it might sound. Uh, so I'm going to talk now about how we make wise decisions, whether we're experiencing God speaking to us a lot, or whether he appears to be silent. So first, what do we do when God speaks? We know we worship a God who speaks. He spoke the world into existence. He spoke to all kinds of people throughout the Bible. He spoke to the whole world through his Son, the Word made flesh, and he's still speaking today. And God has spoken to people in all kinds of different ways. He spoke to Adam face to face, to Abraham through angels, to Joseph through dreams, to Moses through a burning bush, to Balaam through a donkey, to Samuel through a disembodied voice, to David through a prophet, to Daniel through numbers, and to Ezekiel through visions. So God has lots of ways to speak, and he knows how to get his message home to us. I have a friend in Jacksonville who's in his 40s, and he told me once that there was only one time in his whole life that God had spoken to him in an audible voice. And it happened when he was getting dressed for church one Sunday morning, and he heard God say, wear black socks today. That was it, And my friend scratched his head and thought it was weird, but he did it anyway. And when he got to church, he was asked last minute to vest and stand in as an acolyte. So he was very glad that he'd worn his black socks. And I'm still not really sure what I make of that story. Um, I guess it shows how much God cares about the tiny details of our lives. So you might hear an audible voice, but God can speak to us in many other ways. His Holy Spirit is living in you. And he can speak to you through dreams or words of knowledge, or pictures, or a strong sense of conviction, or a deep understanding of his word, or a powerful emotion, or in some other way. So the first time I went to Israel, um, I went to pray at the Western Wall on Temple Mount. Uh, it's a Jewish holy site, and when you go, you have to cover your head, and you'll find lots of Jewish people there praying. Uh, so when I got to the wall, I stood between uh, two Orthodox Jews, one on each side of me, with their long black coats and their black hats, and they were singing prayers in Hebrew out of little prayer books and bowing their heads to the wall, and there were lots of others like them. So I stood there between those two men, and I faced the wall, and I reached out, and I put my hands on the stones, and God met me there in one of the most powerful experiences of prayer I've ever had in my life. And the overwhelming sense I felt uh, was the sorrow that God felt over the two men who were standing either side of me. It just hit me like a tidal wave. How much he loved them. How earnestly they were there seeking him. And how much he wanted them to find him. But they couldn't recognize Jesus as their Lord and their God. And I was actually in tears there at the wall over those two men I didn't even know. The Lord spoke to me through a powerful emotion, uh, and I still don't really know what he meant me to do about it, 
So I'm holding on to it and waiting to hear what comes next. I expect there's going to be more to that story, so watch that space. Uh, so, uh, so that's one way that God might speak, uh, but he has many. And I've noticed that the way God speaks to each of us is different, but it's usually consistent. So if you're a person who has dreams, you're usually going to have multiple dreams, while some other Christians have none. Or if you hear from the Lord in pictures, you'll usually see lots of pictures, while some other Christians never see any. So there's usually a normal way that you hear from God, and you can start to expect to hear from him in that way, to recognize it. And it's very relational and non-formulaic. But whatever it is, you have to grow in it. You're not good at it right away. You need to learn to hear God properly and to interpret what he's saying correctly. And that takes time and practice and life experience. Along with the way that you hear God, there might also be a corresponding voice that is not God. Maybe that voice is coming out of your own head, or maybe it's coming from a false and deceiving spirit. John wrote, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Jesus himself said, My sheep listen to my voice, and they know me. And two things are of immeasurable help in discerning the voice of God. His word and his church, they're both invaluable. God will never say anything to you that is contrary to the Bible. Never. If you hear a voice telling you to go and rob a liquor store, that's not God. <laughs> so, know your Bible if you want to hear God. When Jesus was there in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, he refuted all three of the devil's lies by quoting from the word of God, didn't he? But you have to know your Bible to be able to do that. You might find that quite often, the way God will speak to us will be quoting himself in Scripture. Uh, he lays a certain verse on our hearts that's a revelation to our situation. Uh, and there's God speaking to us in the moment, but he's quoting himself in the Bible. Um, and then have you noticed times when the same part of Scripture keeps coming up over and over again uh, in various different situations in the same week? So it's there in your quiet time, and then it's there in church, and it's in conversation. Oh, and there it is on the radio. It's the same thing coming up over and over in different places. That's not an accident. God is speaking that word to you. So God's word is an essential aid in discerning God's voice. But another one is the church. And I think we don't make use of this nearly as much as we should. You are surrounded by brothers and sisters who also have the spirit of God. So test the word that God is giving you with other discerning people. A group of Christians prayerfully seeking God's will together is far more likely to find it than one person praying alone. Jesus loves it when two or more are gathered. Proverbs says, and I've got a screen for this, where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. And without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So when you're seeking the Lord's will, do it in company with other Christian brothers and sisters who are discerning and whose um, relationship with the Lord you trust. 
So uh, we sent Cassidy off on her mission to Uganda about a year and a half ago. And we did it, we did so uh, after prayerfully discerning the Lord's will for her life with a team of disciples over the course of several months. We assembled a, a discernment team, we met, we prayed, we really sought the Lord. And it was only after we came to a, a unanimous decision the Lord was calling her that we sent her off. And if you have a major life decision in front of you and you want the community's help discerning God's will for your life, then we can assemble a similar team for you. All right, so those are some pointers in making wise decisions when the Lord is speaking. But what about when he appears to be silent? Now, I say appears to be silent because we know that he's the speaking God and he's never actually silent, but sometimes he appears to be silent toward us. And that's a more common Christian experience than you might think. Many serious saints have testified about seasons of their lives when God seemed silent to them unresponsive to their prayers, and not even speaking through his word. And you might be in one of those seasons right now. In fact, it might be your normal experience of God. And that doesn't necessarily mean that anything's wrong. It might mean there's something wrong. It could mean that you're not really listening to God, that you're not paying attention to the ways that he is speaking to you, or you're discounting those ways. Um, or it could be because he's asked something of you that you still haven't done. And he's waiting for you to obey what you know he's asked you to do before he tells you the next thing. Mm -hmm. We read in James that um, if, if anyone knows what he ought to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. There's a difference in knowing. When we hear the Lord say something, there's a, there's a word that goes on in our heart. We need to obey. Uh, but you might have neither of those problems. God might be silent to you. Um, and, uh, and it's for neither of those reasons. Sometimes God is strangely silent, and we just don't know why. So what do we do then? How do we make wise decisions and seek the Lord's will then? Well, the main thing is not to give up. Uh, not to give up seeking him, reading his word, praying, and living to please him. As best we know how to keep going on the road we know is right. So the temptation is... When God seems to be silent, that we just abandon him. Here's what Proverbs 29 says. Where there is no prophetic vision... Have we got a screen for this? Yeah. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraints, <coughs> but blessed is he who keeps the law. You notice that? So it's tempting just to throw in the towel. But blessed is the one who sticks to the law he's heard in the past even if there's no prophetic vision in the present. Mm -hmm. But what about those big life decisions that you've got to make and you're not getting any answers in prayer? Well, again, you can enlist the help and company of your community, and I know several of you have done that. But once you've prayed and sought all the counsel you can, just do what seems right to you and be at peace. All right? There's no need to be anxious. If you feel you have to make a big decision without a clear word from the Lord, because the reality is, he's going to be with you down either road. He's God in either choice. So in my last year of seminary in Pennsylvania, I had to decide whether to accept an invitation from this guy named Taylor Bodo uh, to come and plant a church with him in Tallahassee, Florida. And it was a big decision. It was a major move for my family, and it felt like a big risk. I mean... You've met this guy. <laughs> anyway, 
<laughs> on top of several weeks of prayer about it, I cleared a whole day to go away on retreat to fast and pray and seek the Lord's will on this question. And about three quarters of the way into my retreat day, after I'd walked around in this big nature reserve, meditating on the word and praying, I sat down and I finally got around to asking my question, Lord, should I move my family to Tallahassee? And the Lord answered my question with another question. He said, what do you want to do? It's just like that. What do you want to do? Um, so here I am. Um, and what that whole experience taught me was just to relax um, and to stop worrying so much about the right decision. And I share this with you um, to help you that if you're struggling with a big decision and you're seeking the Lord in prayer for what will please him and studying his word and asking your community and even after all that you still don't know and there's nothing in you that's, that hears a command to wait then just choose, because you know that God's going to be with you down either road. And by doing all those things, you've already made a wise decision. Amen.